BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. Wa alaikum It's uh, an honor to be here tonight to speak at the Alignment Tower project, which has hosted such distinguished scholars here as Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Murad and Sheikh uh, Rahman himself. I am not a scholar, so I'm particularly unworthy and humbled to follow in their footsteps. I should point out that what I'm about to say is solely my opinion, and though I rely heavily on Islamic scholars who have written extensively on this subject, uh, any mistakes are my responsibility alone. I begin in the name of Allah, most gracious, the most merciful. Indeed, all praise belongs to Allah. We praise him and seek him alone for our help, and we seek forgiveness from him and we seek refuge from evil within ourselves and our corrupted actions. Whoever Allah guides, no one can misguide him, and whoever Allah leads astray, no one is able to guide him. And we bear witness that there is no God except Allah alone, and to him there are no partners. And we bear witness that Muhammad, upon whom be peace, is his slave and messenger. O you who believe, be conscious of Allah as you are supposed to be conscious of Allah, and do not die except that you are in a state of Islam. O mankind, be conscious of your Lord who created you from a single person, and from him he created his wife, and from them both he created many men and women. And fear Allah, through whom you demand your mutual rights, and do not cut the bonds of kinship. Surely Allah is an ever-all-watcher over you. O you who believe, keep your duty to Allah and fear him and always speak the truth. He will correct your actions and forgive you your sins. And whoever obeys Allah and his messenger, then surely he has won a great victory. <coughs> and the most truthful speech is Allah's book. And the best guidance is the guidance of Muhammad, upon whom be peace. <coughs> and the most evil of affairs are the newly invented matters. And every newly invented matter is an innovation, and every innovation is a misguidance, and every misguidance is in the fire. Life here in the West is becoming increasingly difficult for Muslims. I don't need to tell you that. An Imam recently told me that he would like to deliver a khutbah on the subject of Islam and homosexuality, but was reluctant to do so because it has become a way for others to identify whether you are with us or against us. He asked me, why do they take this matter so seriously? 
His matter is being held up as the key to integration of Muslims into Western culture, as if Western culture and values could be reduced to this simple fact of accepting homosexuality. To add to our difficulties, the contours of this Western culture are in a state of constant change, shifting according to the whims of the moment. There is an irony here, surely. Does not Christianity, which forms the root structure of European culture, which purports to embody European values and identity, not condemn homosexuality? Muslims are now being called upon to condemn the Quran and the Sunnah and to accept and promote homosexuality to gain entry into the modern world. Such an expectation reveals a new authoritarianism and a more than a whiff of neocolonialism, not to mention xenophobia, at the heart of so-called modern liberal thought. It needs to be stressed, as it has already by the Sheikh, that although homosexuality is forbidden in Islam, we must avoid condemning or rejecting individuals. We are all sons and daughters of Adam. It is quite possible to disagree with a person's behaviour, whether private or public, whilst respecting that person as an individual. So what is the Islamic view of homosexuality? I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what Islam teaches about this. If you look on social media and the newspapers like the Daily Express and the Daily Mail, the most egregious examples, you will get the idea that Muslims hate gays and Islam kills gays. That's sort of rhetoric. Um, and it's a lot worse if you go on Twitter, believe me. And then people hear what ISIS are up to, the appalling things they do to people for being gay, so we are told. I think the Islamic understanding is not commonly known outside of Islamic circles, or perhaps even in some Islamic circles. An important point to note is that Islam, like other major world religions, prohibits without exception all forms of same-sex erotic behaviour. The basis of Islamic teaching is to be found in the many explicit statements of the Quran and the authentic Hadith in the consensus of the Prophet's companions and the successors, and in the unanimous consensus of the Islamic legal tradition throughout the ages. In our Western world today, people identify strongly as gay, straight, bisexual, lesbian, and so on. You see, the forms and permutations seem to be ever-increasing. It's important to realize that this is a recent historical development and is a product of Western secular ideology. It's true that throughout history, homosexual and heterosexual behavior may have been pretty universal, but the idea of a homosexual or heterosexual identity is a modern idea. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The concept of a fixed sexual identity constituting the core of one's self-identity is not recognized in Islam at all, and as I have said, is a recent development in the West. The benefit of dispensing with this problematic labeling is that it helps Muslims understand that they should treat same-sex desires like any other base desire, i.e. shawar in Arabic. Muslims should not believe that they are automatically lesser Muslims just because they have been tested with this kind of desire. They shouldn't see themselves as somehow different from other normal Muslims because they have such attractions. They should certainly not label themselves homosexual. Rather, they are just like other normal Muslims, since all Muslims must struggle against base desires, some of which may be inborn and some others are not. And struggling against any such desire is a test that, if we successfully pass, will earn Allah's pleasure. The Sharia is concerned with our actions. Whether, so whether you are committing adultery or fornication or same-sex acts, it's the actions themselves that are wrong. And the only acceptable place for sexual intimacy in the Islamic understanding is heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman, obviously, for life. So any sexual relationships outside of that are absolutely haram. And in this respect, Islam is similar to the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, for whom these acts are a mortal sin, which, if unrepented, leads to hellfire. The mortal sin is Catholic language for a sin that kills the soul, mortal meaning deadly. And if you don't repent of that before you die, you'll go to hell. So adultery is a mortal sin, uh, as well as homosexual acts and a number of other um, sins are mortal sins. They kill the soul, as opposed to venal sins, which are relatively light and just, I don't know, um, do a bit of damage and don't kill the soul. Now, there is a consensus amongst Islamic scholars uh, about this. So Islam is not picking on gays, it's not picking on anyone else. It's simply teaching that all these acts are wrong, whoever commits them, because they do not take place in the divinely sanctioned context. Now, in terms of the criminal law, the Hadood punishments, there surprisingly isn't agreement amongst the scholars about what the punishment should be in an Islamic society. Muslim scholars set the punishment for anal sex between men as anywhere from a relatively light one at the judge's discretion, as in the Hanafi Madhab, to the same punishment as fornication, based on analogy to heterosexual acts, to execution, based on a command from Muhammad of disputed authenticity. Because sexual contact between women, lesbians, does not involve penetration with the penis, it never received the same legal categorization as liwat. 
It's called uh, shihak, grinding. It was prohibited under the general rule against sexual contact outside of marriage. But the punishments we're speaking of here only pertain to acts done in public. Because in Islam, there is this quite sharp separation between the public realm and the private realm behind your locked door. So the state is not supposed, the Islamic state is not supposed, it's prohibited from intruding and spying on you. And there are hadiths that say that. This aspect of Islamic teaching is little known in the West. So we're dealing here with public acts, which are serious crimes as well as being a sin. Of course, the only exception here being if someone confesses their sin to a judge. Now, in terms of the punishment, um, there must be four upstanding witnesses, not any random four people. They have to be people of known uh, probity, people without any defects or re criminal records, whatever. And then they have to testify in Islamic court of law before a judge that they have witnessed the actual act of penetration. I won't go into more detail than that, but it's a very specific criterion. It's not that they've heard someone did something or they might have seen something. They have to see the actual act of penetration. They have to be four, um, usually male witnesses as well. Now, the point is this, how likely is this in reality? It's virtually impossible in practice. Uh, you have to be very stupid indeed to do this in public. Even in Britain, it's still a crime. You can't commit adultery or any other sexual act and just say, hey, it's freedom, we live in a free society, I'm going to commit fornication on hamster's teeth. You're just not supposed to do that. It's, it's a crime. And you'd be arrested for public indecency. So, you know, it's quite similar between uh, the Islamic law and the British law, actually. In Islam, liwat, sodomy, and other same-sex behaviours in private may not be a crime, and they are very, still very serious sins, but the issue is between you and God, and the state is not permitted to come into your house and spy on you. American Muslim historian Professor Jonathan A.C. Brown, in a recent article, uh, asked... How was homosexuality dealt with in pre-modern Islamic civilization? And he answered, and I quote, The short answer is that it wasn't. The guardians of the Sharia, judges, concerned scholars, market police, etc., turned a blind eye to the private lives of the populace. Thus, despite the endless production of poetry extolling the beauty of young boys, Instances of people being punished for liwat are exceedingly rare. And he says, I've only come across a few examples in the entire Islamic history. Of course, Muslim jurists knew that homosexuality existed all around them, and they disapproved, unexpectedly. As Ibn Abd al-Salam wrote, people only seem concerned about sins if they are socially rejected, not if they are objectionable to God. People were mortified by eating in public during Ramadan, he complained, but they saw no problem with ubiquitous sodomy. So, end of quote. Today, a very small number of so-called liberal Muslims in the West are trying to argue that homosexuality is in fact allowed in the Sharia. They think that the Quran's story of Lot, or Lut, 
was a condemnation of non-consensual sex, not homosexuality. Also, they argued that the hadiths condemning homosexuality attributed to Muhammad are not historically reliable. Rather, they are made up, they think, by a society that inherited a Jewish and Christian dislike of homosexuality. All traditional Muslim scholars, however, reject this argument as breaking with what has been known for centuries as the Shari's clear position on the issue. If you want to look into a, a, a further non-technical discussion of the reliability of the Hadiths in question, you just Google uh, the, the, the paper by Jonathan Brown called The Sharia, Homosexuality and Safeguarding Each Other's Rights in a Pluralist Society. Uh, Jonathan Brown is a, a professor of Islamic studies at Georgetown University in the United States. He's a convert to Islam as one of the world's top uh, Muslim scholars who teaches Islamic studies. And he's written a whole bunch of books now which I highly recommend. There's lots of YouTube videos of him giving lectures and talks on this subject and other subjects as well. Um, and he's written a number of articles which are available freely online. And you can even become his friend on Facebook and is constantly updating material. Um, a Muslim I know was asked recently if Islam's position on same-sex sexual acts meant that Muslims could not live in the West, believe it or not. That's a very strange question if you think about it. Roman Catholics, Evangelical Christians and Orthodox Jews are not asked this question and their views do not prevent them from living in the West. There are lots of features of life in the UK that Islam disapproves of. Drinking alcohol, premarital sex, eating pork, wearing revealing clothing, and so on. Intoxication in Sharia is a herdude crime, punishable by about 80 lashes, and premarital and extramarital sex is condemned as severely as sodomy. Yet there is little evidence that Muslims seek to carry out the herdude punishments for these acts in the UK. In fact, Muslims live around such practices every day without incident. It's very important to note that no Hadoop punishments can be applied unless there is an Islamic court. In the UK, Muslims must respect the law of the land, British law. According to Sharia, our decision to reside in this country represents our agreement to a contract with the government ruling us. As the Quran commands Muslims, be true to your agreements. And as the Prophet, upon whom be peace, taught, Muslims are bound by the conditions of their agreements. The Sharia continues to govern Muslims' private worship and whatever areas of the law are permitted to us, such as contracts, inheritance, marriage, and so on. But Muslims must respect and abide by the restrictions, the duties, and regulations placed upon us. We cannot Islamically take the law into our own hands, as the Sheikh already mentioned, in fact. A Salafi uh, friend of mine, who refuses to be named, a very modest chap, uh, who is experienced in uh, dawah to non-Muslims, <coughs> gave me some helpful advice concerning the larger context of the Islam and homosexuality debate today. Because, you know, in, in these debates, people can object to this ruling or that ruling, but there is actually a much bigger context, which is often overlooked and is absolutely crucial, I think, when we do dawah to, uh, um, to, to non-Muslims and even to each other. And he wrote the following to me, and uh, I quote, 
When looking at an aspect of Islam in isolation from its core essence, namely submission in worship to God alone, it is possible to find some excuse that will prevent a person from accepting a ruling on an issue and thereafter be put off. This is more so the case if it is viewed through the lenses of one's own assumptions, be they secularism, materialism or any other ism that may come to mind. When one contemplates how much he has been given by God, such as life itself, sight, food, shelter, and etc., etc., then this conjures up a feeling of gratitude and also of indebtedness to God. What naturally follows on from that is the ease in accepting what has come from his creator and sustainer. The submission of one's desire is a small price to pay in comparison to the previously mentioned bounties we enjoy. This is seen in an authentic narration of Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. Aisha said, if the first thing to be revealed was, do not drink alcoholic drinks, people would have said, we will never leave alcoholic drinks. And if it had been revealed, do not commit illegal sexual intercourse, they would have said, we will never give up illegal sexual intercourse. This is Sahih Bukhari, Volume 6, Book 61, Hadith 515. The first thing then to be revealed, of course, was the importance of being submitted exclusively to Allah in worship, and from that comes the acceptance of what he has obligated and prohibited. This, of course, includes our topic of homosexuality, amongst other things, such as the prohibition of extramarital sex, drinking alcohol, or eating pork, all of which stem from one's desire, end of quote. And I really like that, because these are you know, picking on single issues which people may instinctively not like, you know, you mustn't do this and you mustn't do that. But the whole concept, the whole of this should be within one's relationship to one's creator, who has created us and given us so, so much. And we, you know, a tiny amount in return. It's like Salah, I think it takes three, four percent of our time, you know, in the 24 hour period. And yet he's given us all this time. So I think it's a very good point to get that larger picture, that larger context in mind. But some people, I think, might suspect that the prospects for Muslims living with exclusively same-sex feelings are unduly burdensome, even so. But the reality is that such people's situations are not in principle different from the requirement of celibacy that applies to all sorts of people who are unable to marry for all sorts of reasons. Not every desire that we have has a halal outlet. There are many circumstances in life that prevent people from entering into halal sexual relationships, such as poverty, disease, looks, and fate. <coughs> For example, many people in the world suffer from poverty. If these folks could simply consume riba or commit theft or take advantage of orphans, etc., then perhaps they could significantly improve their lot. But Islam does not guarantee worldly riches for everyone, and we must not change or get around that cl the clear commandments of Allah in order to achieve that. Another example. 
Muslim women in the West have often complained, I've heard, about the shortage of eligible male bachelors. <laughs> Should they abandon, though, the clear teaching prohibiting Muslim women from marrying outside their faith? See, God does not guarantee that everyone will be able to sexually gratify themselves with whomever they please, nor does he promise we will all end up with partners to love and grow old with. That is not the nature of this dunya. And though it can be a shock for some to grasp, this is what our Creator has decreed. In Surah al-Baqarah, God says, Be sure that we shall test you with something of fear and hunger, some loss in goods or lives or the fruits of your toil, but give glad, but give glad tidings to those who patiently persevere, who say when afflicted with calamity, to Allah we belong and to him is our return. They are those on whom descend blessings from Allah and mercy, and they are the ones that receive guidance. God also says in Surah Al-Imran, every soul shall have a taste of death, and only on the day of judgment shall you be paid your full recompense. Only he who is saved far from the fire and admitted to the garden will have attained the object of life. For the life of this world is but goods and chattels of deception. You shall certainly be tried and tested in your possessions and in your personal selves. And you shall certainly hear much that will grieve you from those who receive the book before you and from those who worship many gods. But if you persevere patiently and guard against evil, then that will be a determining factor in all affairs. <clears throat> As Yusuf Ali, the famous translator, remarks in his commentary on this last verse, not wealth and possessions only, or want of them, are the means of our trial. All our personal talents, our knowledge, opportunities, and their opposites, in fact, everything that happens to us and makes up our personality is a means of our testing. So is our faith, and we shall have to put up for it many insults from those who do not share it. How true are these words today? Um, Muslims are receiving in of huge amounts of insults um, from people. I see it all the time, unfortunately. By patiently persevering in the face of such trials, <clears throat> we have the opportunity, by the grace of God, to enjoy everlasting bliss and love in the Akira, in the afterlife. <clears throat> the worst thing that we can do is to try to change or ignore the commandments of our Lord by chasing after paradise on earth. May God guide us to the straight path. Amen. Amen. If you want to explore further issues raised in this lecture, I just want to go through some resources that are of use to, might be of use to people. <clears throat> I've mentioned um, the many excellent articles and talks online by Dr. Jonathan A.C. Brown. He discusses gay marriage, how Muslims should respond to the question of gay marriage in the Western society. He's an American himself, but it applies here too. The challenges we Muslims face in the West, how we respond, I'll cover that to some extent. And also the, the Hadith, he's got a PhD in, in uh, Bukhari Hadith actually, and uh, he's also a professor as I say. He's able to give a lot of detailed exegesis and understanding of the Quran and the Hadith. Just Google his name and it'll come straight up. 
So another brilliant scholar is Dr. Sherman Jackson, who I'm told is Michael Jackson's brother. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, Michael, uh, not uh, Sherman Jackson, or Michael Jackson, um, has um, done a superb talk on uh, YouTube, uh, which I recommend. It's quite short, called Homosexuality in Islam. Is there a place for gay Muslims? Um, homosexuality in Islam, is there a place for gay Muslims? And that's an excellent talk, I think, uh, by a very distinguished scholar indeed, and brother of Michael Jackson. Um, for a much, much more academic <clears throat> scholarly paper, I highly recommend um, a paper by Mobin Vaid, M-O-B-E-N, Vaid, V-A-I-D. And he's published a, a, a very scholarly paper online called Can Islam Accommodate Homosexual Acts, Quranic Revisionism and the Case of Scott Kugel? This paper is in part a, a review of a book by this guy, Scott Kugel. He's an American Muslim academic uh, who is gay, he calls himself gay, and he supports the idea of gay relationships fully. And he says it's completely compatible with the Quran and so on, amazingly. Um, and um, this uh, article by Mobin Vaid not only you know, refutes that quite easily, but also goes into many, many of the issues which are, uh, um, are raised by people. It's an excellent article. <clears throat> on, a, on a much smaller scale, there's the interview I did uh, recently, uh, which you can see on YouTube, Islamic Views on Homosexuality, <clears throat> interview with Brother Paul at Speaker's Corner, produced by AJ Dean. is a much briefer and simplified version of this talk. Um, another resource is my own humble blog, bloggingtheology.net, um, which has a number of Muslim, Christian, and two Jewish writers, <clears throat> where we discuss issues of interest to us as members of the Abrahamic faiths. Uh, we discuss homosexuality and many other issues, uh, and uh, it's been going for a while now. Just Google bloggingtheology.net. Uh, now, th this talk is considerably shorter than some people might have wanted, but I did want to allow the opportunity for questions and discussion because there's so many issues that uh, are relevant, and um, I think we could have some chance to do that. I'd like to extend my gratitude to Dr. Uh, Paul um, Williams for this uh, informative lecture on Islam and homosexuality. Now the floor will be opened for questions and answers. So if you have any questions, please free, feel free to raise your questions. Inshallah, the speaker will be happy to answer. So, <coughs> sorry, I, um, so what is the punishment for homosexuality and it, does it differ to the other religions as in Christianity and Judaism? Repeat the question. Yes, uh, the, the brother was asking, <clears throat> what is the punishment for homosexuality and does it differ from other religions, Judaism, Christianity? It's an excellent question. Um, in the West, until fairly recently, uh, liwat, sodomy, uh, was a capital crime. Uh, in other words, you were executed in Britain. Uh, Speaker's Corner, um, where I occasionally go on Sunday, um, it, it is, is next to a place called the Tyburn Tree. You can Google this in Marble Arch. And the Tyburn Tree was a location for about 800 years where people were, it was outside of London at that time, because London has moved massively westwards over the centuries. It was outside of London. It's where people were executed, hung, drawn, quartered, not just people 
for this crime, but Catholics and Protestants and uh, you know ordinary criminals, if you like, were executed there. So uh, until um, I'd imagine 18th century, I'm not sure the dates, it was certainly before that time, it was a capital crime. Why? Because the Bible says it's a capital crime. Um, it says that in Leviticus, and Paul seems to, in the New Testament, seems to reinforce that in Romans chapter 1. Um, and uh, that and other sexual crimes were, uh, you know, merited the death penalty. Jews today are, you know, there's a, such a range of views that Jewish people have. Um, some are very secular, some are liberal, some are orthodox, some are very, very orthodox. Some want to bring back the halakha, the, the Jewish law, which is like the Sharia, actually. And that has death penalty for homosexual acts. But in Islam, and again, I'm not a scholar, but I'm going by what I've read, and Sheikh can correct me if I'm wrong, there isn't an agreed, across all the schools, there isn't an agreed punishment. Um, the Hanafi position um, <clears throat> has, uh, certainly for many, many centuries, gone to Abu Hanifa. I know there are scholars in the Hanafi school who support the death penalty, but often it's been the case of, um, I mean, there are technical reasons why, but they haven't supported the death penalty for the what? But the other three schools have. But the question is, in my view, it is virtually impossible to implement these punishments for the reasons I mentioned. You've got to have four upstanding witnesses. You've actually got to see in the act of penetration, you know, like adultery. I mean, how likely is that? With the one exception of confession, if you go to a judge and confess this, on more than, I, I forget how many times you've got to do this, maybe three times. Some say you have to do it on three separate occasions. Some say you can just say it three times, but then then you're, you know, that's it. There's trouble. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still possible, even in a sheriff context, for it to happen if you voluntarily confess. And that's assuming you're not mad, because, you know, and you're not, you know, drunk or a child or, you know, you've got to be a, an adult, you know what you're doing, or the judge presumably would just dismiss you. Um, but uh, the West now has become very thoroughly secularised. Uh, the, the, the sin has moved into an illness that moved, then moved into an acceptable lifestyle, which, you know, has changed over the, over the centuries. And now it's, it's almost impossible publicly to question or criticise this without um, suffering some kind of consequence, maybe even criminal consequence, which is why this talk even is, has a risk attached to it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, <laughs> you've, got, you've got us as backup anyway. Oh, yeah, well, these brothers are going to. No, um, but you know, I, I think we have to speak the truth um, with respect, uh, with sensitivity, um, and not provocatively or angrily or rashly. Or we just got to quietly speak the truth. Otherwise, God will judge us yes. at the end of the day for going very quiet. Um, but there, there, unfortunately, there are very there are some harsh voices out there, which just say haram haram haram. And, okay, but you know, there's more to it than that. <laughs> um, we're dealing with people here, and often people are, don't choose how they feel; they choose their behaviour, but they don't choose their feelings. And uh, they need they need all the support, I think, of Muslims and mosques for those who want to go on the straight path. You know, they deserve support and encouragement, I think, um, because they're, they're Muslim brothers and sisters, um, I think. Yeah. Any other questions? Um, I, I read an article on BBC, and uh, it said, uh, when is homosexuality, uh, homosexuality 
going to be accepted in Islam. Now, is there uh, any way or, or a way we could approach or spread the message on how to, you know, basically uh, approach someone to tell them that it's not allowed? What is the best way to approach someone uh, in that manner? It depends who's asking what the context is. Yeah. I mean, if you have an academic asking for, you know, what is the Sharab's issue, is given the academic answer. It's this, 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 and this. But if it's someone who is interested in Islam, you know, the, remember the wider context, my Sharia, my Salafi friend said, you know, then Islam isn't about haram, it's about the mercy of God, God's forgiveness, and all those things. So bringing in that larger context that God knows, I think because God made us, owns us, you know, we are his, he in his wisdom knows what's best for us. And though we may not, want, I, mean, I personally don't understand why I can't eat pork. Now I know there are reasons people give, but I don't, you know, you can have a pig and put it in a nice home and, you know, it's going to be clean, is it? No, it's prohibited, it's haram. So I don't really, but it, it's a test, and so I don't eat pork. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think we have to trust the wisdom of God who knows, who designed us and made us, he knows what's best for us. Even if we don't understand the reasons we have to accept, because that's what Islam is about, submission to the one God. And our age doesn't want to hear that, it wants to talk about rights and pleasure, and, you know, it's a different message, isn't it? Uh, yes. Is for that question? Uh, thank you for this talk. Um, I would like to know, in your research, did you encounter any like medical or psychological reasoning to, that results in homosexual behaviour? That's a good question. Well, well, what I discovered in my <clears throat> limited understanding is that there is still, <clears throat> still disputed very much in, in science what the causes of this is. And I think some while ago there was talk of a gay gene. I think that talk is uh, not accepted. There isn't a gay gene. It's much more complicated than that. There may be a genetic predisposition to certain acts, uh, which then when you bring in the environment and upbringing and all sorts of other factors can go towards a certain orientation. But there isn't a simple, as far as I'm aware, correlation between a particular gene, gene X, behaviour, you know, gay identity, why that's not, I, I've not come across that, and I don't think that's what's, so I think um, there's still a lot of uncertainty, uh, a lack of clarity in psychologists and geneticists and so on about the causes of, of human behaviour, and this whole thing is disputed, nature, nurture, and so on. So I, I don't think there's a clear answer, but, but either way, Islamically, that's not the point, you know, what we, the behaviour is clearly haram, <clears throat> and it's a test of God for those of us who, who uh, have to live under that on trial and that's not disputed in Islam so the causes are something else I think I, I don't know thank you maybe one day yes brother so I have Islam. had a lot of discrimination of gay people in uh, from Muslims and is it justifiable the discrimination what do you mean by discrimination for example a um, couple of months ago I have had the one taxi driver his passenger was a homosexual, and he he said, "No, I'm not going to give you the right." How did he know he was homosexual? I mean, <laughs> somehow, sort of thing. You say, "Hi, can I have a lift?" And I'm homosexual. I mean, how does he know? No, I'm not. Yes. I mean, seriously, how did how did, how did he know that he somehow was? Somehow he knew that. Okay, behavior was probably not natural. Maybe. Oh, I see. Maybe he was a bit camp or feminist or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we could. This is not acceptable. My view, absolutely not. No, we're not. We, everyone has their rights to transportation and, and respect and decent treatment. 
it's just non-negotiable in my view. We don't go around not giving people service and cafes or taxis because we don't like the look of them. It's outrageous. And it's also dangerous because if, if that was accepted, then a lot of English people would turn around and say, well, I'm not serving you, Mr. Muslim, because I don't like the look of you. It's in our interests, actually, to give justice to people, let alone it is just. It's also in our interest to give justice, otherwise it would backfire on us. People will say, I don't like the look of you, you've got a hijab on, you've got a beard. Because you don't, you don't give service to Muslims, we're not going to give, you know. So I think it's also in our interest to give people equity and, and yeah. Just pick on one point there, which surprised me. I think it was last week. The Church of England bishops issued a report after years of consultation and talking to lesbian and gay groups and so on. They issued a report about their findings of what the Anglican doctrine and canon law should be about homosexuality and marriage and so on. Given all the debates in the church, all this lobbying and, and you know, getting to change Christianity. And the bishops, I've read the, uh, the report, the bishops say, that the Church of England is not going to change its doctrine, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that's sort of the canon law, and the canon law is not going to change. And, you know, they say they're very sensitive, they want to include people and so on, but they're holding the line, which really surprised me. I thought they would buckle, and they haven't, which is amazing. The Roman Catholic Church, uh, which has over a billion followers on earth, the oldest continuous institution in the world, absolutely says it's haram, that it's prohibited, it's, it's, it's a mortal sin. So do the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox, the Coptic Church, and so on and so forth, they all say the same. There are a few small liberal Western denominations who have, if you like, changed. You know, like the Lutheran Church in Norway recently, officially married as a first clergy who married, you know, gay clergy who married each other in church and so on. But the, the, big, the big beasts of the, the world uh, are holding the line, actually. So it's not quite that Christianity has gone over to the dark side quite yet. But Allah's laws don't change. You know, we're dealing with God's laws here. We're not dealing with a man-made system. And if God says something haram, then that's it. And the Quran, I mean, Muslims may be unfaithful. The Quran says we should follow God and his messenger. Uh, as the Sheikh was saying yesterday at Regents Park Mosque in his talk on Hadith yesterday, he was stressing that you know we must obey God and his messenger. And, and the Quran and the Hadith are clear on this. <coughs> we as individual Muslims are unfaithful to that, that's a different matter. But you can't change the Quran, you can't change God's messenger. I mean, it's just there. Nothing we can do about it, uh, I'm afraid. <laughs> if you want to change the religion, then join another religion. 
Uh, I can recommend a few, you know. <laughs> I don't recommend Islam if you want to make your own religion. And remember, the West is a small part of the world. The West is, West is not Indonesia, the largest country in the world for Muslims. It's not Malaysia, it's not Africa, it's not, um, you know. Um, but Christianity has its own unique problems, as I very briefly touched that. I think Christianity, um, as we understand it today, is not the religion that Jesus preached. It's a different subject. You know, he, he was a Jew who preached within Judaism to Jews about, you know, following God and loving your neighbour. And what's happened is that Christianity has become a religion about Jesus, where Jesus himself is proclaimed as the content of the gospel. Whereas what Jesus went around preaching was quite different from that. And what Jesus preached, look at the earliest gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, was more or less what Islam preaches about how to get forgiveness of sins, how to get to heaven, how to treat your neighbour, the law of the law, is very similar to what Islam teaches. So Christianity has already, in my view, moved away from its founder. It's created a quite a different religion, in the, anyway, and has gone through permutations beyond that. So you get the rise of Catholicism, and the rise of Protestantism, and the rise of liberal Christianity. It has all sorts of different incarnations throughout the centuries. Whereas Islam, and I could be wrong, is the only world religion that has remained, retained its pristine, pure character. You know, the way the Prophet Muhammad prayed is the way we pray. It's the same religion, even though it's 1,400 years ago. It hasn't changed, in my view. Christianity has changed a lot. And so has Judaism, even, because there's no temple in Jerusalem anymore. If you look at the, the Torah, it's centered around the temple in Jerusalem. The temple doesn't exist. It was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So now it's centered around the Torah, um, you know, the worship and, and the scriptures rather than the temple. So even that has changed. So I think Islam is the only religion on earth where you get Muhammad and Jesus. You know, Christians reject uh, uh, Muhammad and Jews reject um, Jesus and Muhammad. So you get both in Islam, I think. Yeah. So. Any other question? Yes. <clears throat> Just going back to that brother's question about the taxi driver and the passenger. Yeah. Um, I understand it's, it's not discriminating someone just by the way they act or look. But what if I, as a driver, me being a Muslim, was to witness such act you know, in front of me? What would be the right to What acts were you thinking of? <laughs> no, seriously. Like, homosexual act, like, you know, maybe... What, he's going to commit sodomy in your hair? Kissing or something, you know. Start cutting your hair. What would be the right, right approach? I mean, Depends what he's doing. You see, the, the sexual, the sinful sexual acts that I'm, we're talking I mean, about... it's physical. ...are, are crimes in British law. <clears throat> If you start having, well, I'm not going to go into details, but if you started doing whatever in the back of the taxi, you're committing a crime under British law. Okay. Call the police. <laughs> you're not doing anything wrong. If, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into details, and I could. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that, that's a crime. You, as I said earlier on, you can't commit these acts in public, in British law, in French law, in German law, in American law. Because it's public indecency. You know, children may watch it, and the public can see it. No, I'm just saying, if there's a woman and a man kissing, you know, it's a problem. But when you see a man and a man kissing, then obviously. I think he's just constantly kissing. Okay, so we're talking about kisses. Kissing is the big issue now. I'm just saying, that is just a. Kissing is not illegal, I don't think. It's not illegal, but I'm saying, me as a Muslim, is there a post I should take to that? Or, I mean, being seeing that in front of me? That's a good question. I think if you're talking about kissing, because anything that goes into sex, then no, it is then illegal anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, forget Islam, it's just illegal in British law. So it's not an issue for us. We have the law on our side. The law, British law and Islamic law 
meet very nicely on that. There's not an issue. You're talking about kissing. Well, do you have any views on this? <laughs> I think you just need to change your rearview mirror and just concentrate on the road. <laughs> there we are. Thank you There are nice, simple solutions. Just uh, look, I, I take your point because, but believe it or not, there will be evangelical Christians, Catholics, Orthodox, or even some atheists who will find that behavior unpleasant. Or just drive straight to the police station. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not just the idea that Muslims are upset by that. A lot of people are upset, would be upset. Some people are very upset by seeing straight couples yeah, yeah. kissing. Oh, I am. I, I don't understand. Couples smooching in the back of them. Oh, thanks. You know, get a room, you know. Yeah, exactly. So it's not just a Muslim. Oh, no, I was just only asking because I'm that trade, you know. <laughs> I've unfortunately seen anyone yet. But yeah, I think if it happens just... We don't kick him out. Oh yeah, I think don't create a scene, but just turn your yeah, mirror just away and just, and just put your foot down and get to their destination quickly and <laughs> bye. <laughs> Thank you. That's a very important question. Allah uh, bless you. Uh, any of them? We're coming to the end of our program, so. Um, just one sure. last question. In China, they recently opened the first uh, college for transsexuals, uh, gays, and uh, uh, people of that nature. Uh, do you see it uh, opening here in the future? What kind of, what are you talking about? College for what exactly? Uh, I think it's a university. For, it's for, for people who are gay or, uh, you know, yeah, transsexuals or uh, any of that nature. Just, but it's a, other than that, it's a regular university? Yeah, it's a regular university. Do you think... Islamically, that obviously is not going to happen, but um, who knows it can happen in the West. <laughs> I said, Islamically, there is no such thing as... We don't say, ah, oh, that's a lesbian, you know. Yeah. We shouldn't. We shouldn't as a human being who we respect mm. and you know we don't label people like that that's a western construct we, we see them as adam you know sons and daughters of adam but well, that sounds really personal yeah, sounds because really of, of social comfort for example they would just separate themselves and, and create their own type of this is an ideology which which i find hard to grasp to be honest okay <laughs> it has to do with that it's just very odd mm. um so, so, so this quick one about this yeah this anti-essentialist argument whereby we don't essentialize someone yeah. based upon a certain yeah. behavior, is it? Or exactly. if we essentialize people on certain facets, like the children of Adam, essentialize them as children of Adam, right? Yeah. Or we say we don't essentialize them based upon behavior and act because they're liable to change. Is that what you're arguing for? Well, I'm, I'm just saying that in, in, in Sharia, in, in the Quran and so on, People are not called, are not identified as lesbians or gay men, or that it's simply not. I'm not saying that acts aren't identified, of course, people of roots and so on. But in terms of just acts apart, people aren't identified by their sexual orientation. That's a very recent Western point. And it's, it's an odd thing, an odd labelling. And I think Islam treats people more holistically than that, um, rather than pinpointing them as, as a, an orientation, in my view.